All right, Josh Smith here, live at Flat 5 again. My guest today is uh, truly like a giant hero. Uh, it's kind of crazy to me, actually, that I can send him a text message and he responds. Um, I've been listening to him play music most, most of my entire life. And it was funny, I was doing an interview yesterday, Chris, with a guitar magazine. And they asked me, oh, where do you get your feel playing over a shuffle? You have a great feel over a shuffle. And I said... Well, I, probably from the 8 million hours I spent playing along to cassettes of you playing a shuffle as a child, you know, <laughs> that's, that's where my time comes from. Anyways, dude, it's an honor to have you. We're just going to have a little chat about music and life, and uh, please, everybody, welcome Chris Layton. Howdy, howdy. Good to see you, Josh. Likewise, I, my I, friend. I hope that was a good for you, Josh, all these, this, these years of uh, influence. <laughs> dude, it's... It, yeah, I mean, you know what's funny is I started playing guitar a little bit before I heard you guys, and so I was already in in it deep in the weeds, you know. But it definitely was life changing once I found you guys. Um, so I've been starting all these interviews. I'm most interested with everybody how they kind of get started playing the instrument. The guitar was really random for me. Nobody in my family plays. I don't come from a musical family. Do you come from a musical family? Was was there a lot of musicians in, in your household? You know, oddly enough, I, there was, but I didn't actually know it at the time. Um, six years old. It's one of those things where you have that moment of like ignition, I call it, where something gets you excited. And fortunate enough for me, I actually kind of chased that down. I mean, I think this happens all the time for people, but you, know, you stop and something occurs in your life and you get like, your hair stands up, you get chicken skin, goosebumps, and you go, oh, well, that was cool. And I'll just go on to whatever I was on my way to, to begin with. And in that case, I just heard a, something came on the uh, stereo and it did that to me. And I heard the drums and I immediately went out and cut some branches off a tree and started beating on stuff. And it just never ended until wow. I had this motorcycle accident. But I'm um, so it's <laughs> from six years old. It just never stopped. But um come to find out i mean i'm a drummer that's what i do people know me mostly as but my my father actually played drums in the uh european theater when he was in the war wow he, he had bad vision so he ended up he was a, a, a buck sergeant but he was a, a, a airplane mechanic but he played in the jazz band in the non-commissioned non-commissioned officers club but i didn't know any of that until like later so it wasn't like I knew that and went, well, I want to play drums like my father. There was none of that. And um, in fact, I guess maybe a year or two after I, you know, I had that, that ignition point I'm talking about, my father took a role as the, the tenor, lead tenor in uh, the Corpus Christi Tidelanders, which was the barbershop quartet of the city. Wow. Because that must have been a pretty big deal, 210,000 population city, and they got a barbershop quartet, my father's singing tenor in, and I'm going, okay, you know, there's that, so. Interesting. But, um, yeah. And so, okay, so you, you pull down tree branches and you start playing. Your dad never mentions to you that he plays drums when he sees you have the interest right away? No. That's crazy. <laughs> no, it's weird. Now, here's the weird part about it was – um. They happened to be these poisonous from this poisonous tree. And my mother saw it. She came in screaming and yelling and, you know, and dad and my mother's, I mean, my dad says, Olga, he goes, just hang on to me. He goes, 
son, go get rid of those and go wash your hands. You come back here in two minutes. So I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get spanking or some shit. Right. And so I come and I sit back down, you know, after I've done all that and he comes in with all these volumes of like what were 78s, these bound volumes of like Harry James, Chick Webb, Lionel Hampton, Duke Ellington, uh, Count Basie, um, Glenn Miller. And for like hours played me all these 78s. I was like, what is this stuff? It was just mind blowing. But, but also to that, as he started doing that, he went to that same closet that had been locked, seemed like my whole life, which was only six years long, but he came back with these uh, Slingerland things and they were brushes and he had the paper down on the ottoman. He was like playing along with this stuff. Wow. And I thought, wow, dad knows how to do that. He's like playing along with Chick Webb, right? And he's playing brushes. And I'm going, he sounds like that guy. He's doing this, he's doing that. And, and then it was, um, he never said though, oh yeah, I used to be a drummer. He never said that. He just, that was it. That was the evidence. And then my mother actually told me, cause he, you know, I don't know why he never said anything about that. It's weird, but. Interesting. Like so that was generate. my next question. So, so they were listening to hip music in your house. You were, you were fortunate on that front. Well, my mom was the Ray Charles fan. Yeah. So otherwise you kind of had the radio and had all that shit like, um, you know, Glenn, uh, you know, Pat Boone and whatever, Pozo Seiko singer, whoever came on the radio. And then, you know, if you got a hip station or if you had records and my mother did, she had like Ray Charles. And so right. when my dad brought out the big band stuff, I said, you know, there's a picture of something's happening here that you didn't hear in the Pat Boone shit and the, <laughs> God, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, then after that, it was like, oh man, let's, uh, that's, this is great. Uh, so, so when do the first like actual, you know, drumsticks and the s sitting down behind a kit happen? Is, is it more of something at school, like marching band or something first, or when's the first drums? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, let's see. I, yeah, I think my, my parents were, I can consider them kind of hardcore, but uh, you know what, to be fair, it's like, if you're interested in this stuff, you'll stay interested in it, right? Yeah. So I got another pair of limbs from another tree and beat around on pots and old coffee cans. It was Folgers had these different coffee cans with the new plastic lid. And yeah. I used that for drums and all the, you hear this story, it's not uncommon, but I did that for a while. And then when beginner band came along, I went, well, I want to get into a band and and, uh, you know, my, my, my parents were like, oh, you want to do that? Well, uh, I guess you, you, you need a drum. I go, I go, yeah, I do need a drum. They go, where are you going to get one of those? You know? <laughs> so they were, there was not much leading the witness. It's like, well, okay, well, there was always like, you make the first step and we'll follow up behind you if you need some help. I got into well, band. That's cool because mm -hmm. they, they were testing you, I guess, to see if you were really going to follow through. Well, you know, it reminds me of when I was, when Tommy and I were launching out on this idea of doing the Double Trouble solo record, mm -hmm. Tommy, who was writing songs, he said, man, you ought to you ought to learn how to play guitar. And I went, you know, I got these ideas, but I can't speak them because I have no vocabulary. And so I called Jimmy Vaughn and I said, uh, hey, I said, you got a guitar I could borrow? He goes, yeah, I got a guitar. He goes, it's he goes, it's an old uh, harmony. He goes, the strings are about an inch and a half from the neck. He goes, it's really kind of fucked up and real hard to play. I go, well, why, why would I want to play a guitar like that? 
And he said, well, because if you want to play this guitar, it means you really want to play guitar. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like, you know, back in the day, it's like, oh, you want to play drums? Well, where are you going to get one? And where are you going to get the money to buy one? And you're like, well, I thought y'all were just going to do all that for me. And they go, no, they, they help out, but they let you take, you know, I had to lead the charge and then they helped out when the time was right in their parental viewpoint. My parents were the same way. I had to complete books, you know, the Mel Bay guitar course, book one, book two, before I could get a real guitar. So I was playing with a toy at first. And then when I finished like the first two books and I got a real guitar, uh, yeah, and it was very, I had to be put in the effort. So well, you look like a guy that's had good parenting. You look like a guy that's had good parenting. You yeah. know, it's like, where's this good parenting? You know, like, uh, <laughs> hey, I think I'd like to be a race car driver. We'll go get you a car tomorrow and give it a go, you know. <laughs> yeah, just get on out there, you know. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so, so you had music in school, which, I mean, I think I kind of come at the tail end of when it was just a given that you would have music in school. Uh, during, you know, when you were going to school, it was pretty much automatic, right? Well, there was the option. Um, it, it was beginner. It was beginner band, and it happened in um, sixth, grade, sixth grade, which was like before intermediate school. We called. I live in a little town at, by this point, north of Corpus Christi, Mathis, Texas. So you could join band in sixth grade. It was like great, you know. So you got, you know. Anyway, that's another story with that. But right at that same time, you know, I was listening to popular music. I actually heard Jimi Hendrix. Living in this little town, there wasn't any radio, but. Um, I did hear Hey Joe and heard Purple Haze. I went, man, what in the world is this? Because Mitch Mitchell sounded like the guys in these in these in big band drummers. Yeah. But I go, but this music is nothing like that stuff on the 78s, right? Mm -hmm. But so, so a friend of mine's older brother had a set of Ludwig drums and he had stopped playing them and they were stacked in his closet. I said, can I borrow those and the guy said no but i'll rent them to you and he rented them to me for like 50 cents a week and i got to play him there like i didn't take them and leave with them but he, i paid him 50 cents to play him at his house wow so it was something that i did i made you know it was it was a little bit entrepreneurial you know to kind of like well wait a minute, i want to play drums and there was a guy who lived in you know down the road in this little town named george choplis who actually had his drum kit set up in a the garage and he had like the bogan pa and he was playing the popular music and playing drums along with the stereo i'm going yeah that's i'm into that right so you know all these different things that you did to kind of get yourself up and running you know yeah. Yeah. and was that the first time you actually got to sit down behind a full kit uh, at that guy's house in his garage yeah yeah that that's was crazy like, wow yeah, yeah i can't imagine like you know you know guitar you either have a guitar or not and you're listening to drums you see your dad playing brushes on the couch you're playing with tree limbs you're playing a drum and band at school but to actually finally sit behind a kit and do what you kind of it sounds like you knew you already wanted to get there you know that must have been an incredible feeling oh no it's it's magical because it is there's there's pieces to a drum kit yeah. like you just said either playing a guitar or you're kind of not but the drum you're like oh wow there's a hi-hat and snare and kick drum and there's a you know, there's, there's pieces here and you, you know, it's, it was a great exploration. You know, it's like a whole new universe than playing a snare drum. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how quickly did you progress once you got behind the kit? Oh God. I don't know. 
I mean, people say, oh, man, you got a good feel. I mean, once I actually could play anything at all, which was pretty quick, mm. you know, but I, I'd like trying to jump way ahead. I mean, I was putting on, you know, having a drum kit when I actually got my own drum kit at 14, right? Had my own drum kit. And I'm thinking, you know what? I want to learn how to play fire by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I go, there really wasn't a fire in me, you know, at, to do that. You know, well, maybe I'll do Hey Joe. I go, well, I needed a little bit. I need to get some chops together. Some, you know, they had no experience. You know, yeah. but, you know, so you kind of like let the, you like to let the, in that method, you kind of let the song kind of fill in the blanks for you. You know, you kind of pull you along and you jump in where you can. And I don't know how long it was before I actually started playing, you know, stuff like Can't Get Enough by Bad Company. I go, yeah, I'm playing this, and, you know. Right. When um, when was the first time you played with other musicians playing Kit? Uh, you know, 15. I was 15. Like, within the year. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, in that time and, and in a small town you're at, were there a lot of guys listening to rock and roll and playing guitar and bass and stuff? Or was it a pretty small amount of players? Not, you know, it was a small amount because one, it was a farming community. Mm-hmm. And even though it was the 60s, <clears throat> there was, a, you know, that was kind of a different element of society. Those that would like be endeavoring in music as opposed mm-hmm. to playing football, baseball and running track and whatnot. Right. Um, it was a very, very small pool, but we knew everybody. Knew everybody. And um, no, I did. There was a guy that I, you know, another, you know, derelict hooligan hipster like myself who played some guitar and we put together a little combo with another guy who played some bass. We entered the talent show. We did a For Your Love. Oh, yeah. We did For Your Love and we won the talent show. And you go, this is kind of like encouragement and validation, right? You go, maybe we are maybe this means something, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we could go somewhere, you know, one or, you know, together separately or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those little moments of like, yeah, validation. And, and of course, even just the spark of playing with people, it's like, once you get those little moments, it's, you can, you can't go back after that. It's like, that's it. The hook is set, you know? Well, it wasn't my case. Right. Cause I just yeah. keep in, in, a, a through my whole life, I go, each one of those things, it kind of just kept narrowing. Like, this seems to be what I'm thinking about more mm-hmm. and more, or mainly to the exclusion of like a bunch of other stuff. All <laughs> right. So, to, so what did your parents think about that when you started to, you know, narrow in on, okay, maybe this is where you want to go, not just, you know, for fun, but as, as a, a life, how'd they feel? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I have to say that inadvertently, when I was nine years old, almost 10, there was a tragedy in my family. My sister died in a car accident. She was the middle child. And it really, my parents took it real badly. And within the year, my father was uh, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and had a, all of a sudden this plethora of health issues. And it almost seemed like it's like we don't really have time to it seemed like to really get into like, does he want to be a drummer? You know, should he be a doctor? What how can we help guide him? I like, was just like, you'll figure it out. Whatever mm-hmm. it is that needs to be figured out, we all have to figure it out. And I'm right. just making this story up. But um, so really, it was my it was my parents 
friends who seemed to notice that I was interested in this drumming thing, who, as my father was becoming more and more ill, he passed away when I was 19, right after high school. Mm. But through high school, they said, you know, we've noticed they had me over for dinners and they say, look, we kind of noticed we see what you're doing in school band. And we're hearing this and hearing some things as I was playing. They go, seems like you're taking this drumming thing a little bit too seriously. You know, your dad's ill and your mom's going to need help. And we just want to talk to you about, you know, maybe it's time to put that aside and get serious about life. And, and I thought, I am serious about living my life. I always felt that way, you know? Right. And so it was kind of, a, it was, these were strange conversations to have because in a way I'd hear them and I'd go, I can't think about all that other stuff that you're telling me I probably should be thinking about. It just doesn't register. Right. You know, not so much like I'm dedicated. I've known since I was four years old, I was going to be a professional drummer. I, go, I didn't know any of that shit really. All I know is I kept wanting to do this and I kept wanting to do that and didn't want to do these other things. And, so it was like I'd look out there and the whole field looked blurry, except when I thought about playing drums. And then that seemed to be crystal clear. Yeah. Not yeah. with like, I'm going to do this with it. I'm going to, you know, you have all your little dreams and your stuff, but it's like, so that's kind of what was it more than anything. Um, Interesting. I mean, I can certainly relate. It was like, I wasn't one-sided completely. But nothing else felt right. So much to the point where I, when I was in high school, I mean, obviously I was gigging already then too as a kid, but I knew, you know, okay, there's no college coming for me. I'm not going to go. I could have gone. I was a good student, you know, and, and, and I got actually scholarship offers, but I, I, it was just wasn't even, it didn't register like as an option to me because I just wanted to be playing music. So what happened when you got close to finishing high school? I mean, I, I think I read you went to college some, right? I did. No, so I got out of I went, yeah, I got out of high school, and I'm thinking, damn, it's pretty dismal down here in Corpus. The family situation, the life. That's so I'm going. Well, I guess I ought to go to college, and there's we have one here, and they do have a music program. Actually, mm -hmm. it was a very good, legit music program. A lot of people who went to the Del Mar two-year music program, Del Mar College, went retract right into Juilliard and I'm going, well, I'm not doing that. I know I'm not right. that guy, but you know, I'll go hide. From, I'll go take some cover over there and, yeah. you know, take some courses and take some music. And, but the truth of it was, is that when, even when I was in college, I went, yeah, I, you know what? It sounds stupid. I go, I just want to rock. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so cliche, but, um, you know, they're sitting in biology class. And I'm going, hey, this is fine, but um, wait yeah. a minute, what am I doing? Where am I going? I, I'm something's not, you know, yeah. something's not clear here. And then my dad died, right? And one day I woke up and something said, "You should leave." And Austin was in my head because I visited my sister here a few years earlier. I went, "What a cool place!" And I knew nothing other than some friends of mine had abandoned a house they just paid rent on. And there's a longer story there, but they came back to, to Corpus and I turned to a couple of friends and I said, let's, let's get a band together and let's go to their house. Let's like do it like now. And they went, okay, man, let's take off. So the next day we went tied up loose ends. I bailed out of my music classes and everything. I told them, I said, do what you want with my grade. I'm moving to Austin. And, and we just came up here and we, with nothing 
couple hundred wow. bucks in my pocket with nothing. No, like we got some gigs, we got jobs, we got all the, we had nothing figured out other nothing. than we're, we're going to this place and we're going, we're going to go squat in this house. It's got a month free rent on it and we'll figure it all out after that. Wow. So, yeah. you know, um, where was I going with that? Well, that's just, and then you I was on to the next thing. And I, yeah. but something said, this feels right. I don't know why it does exactly, but this seems like now I'm heading in some kind of right direction. So you were 19 then? Yes. Yeah. But I did start school again. It's funny. I was listening to Bill Burr was talking about this the other day about having to go on to three different kind of colleges until he just said, yeah, I'm fucking doing stand up, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, so I did that and then you know, a good friend of mine knew a band that was actually auditioning for drummers and they had like their 20th audition. And he said, one, I gave him your number. Here's their number. Once you go audition. And I went, they said, we want you in our band. Wow. 19 years old. And everybody else in the band was like 26 to like 40, you know, they go, we want you in our band. I went, okay. And it was like, so I started playing in this band called greasy wheels. And it was like a Friday afternoon paycheck right wow. and, and real legitimate shows and all this stuff and i'm going well this is what you call a professional musician yeah it's all these questions about are you going to be a musician are you going to go to school get a degree maybe you ought to be a lawyer i mean what you have you considered you know all that it was like you know th i'm here and this is yeah. it and so that was it it was like really like let me conk you on the head life a few times go say are you getting it through your head you've been thinking about this and doing it since you were like six yeah and you're 19 maybe it's like oh and you're here <laughs> you know? here you are um well i'm sure you know you know once you got to austin just being around that many like-minded individuals too must have even just spurred you on so much more i mean and and then yeah getting paid to play for real for the first time nothing there is no feeling like that like that moment, even when it's, you know, $30 at your first gig, it's, it's a tremendous feeling. Well, yeah. And there, and the, uh, really do, does anybody need any more evidence to say, look, you're kind of a cool band. You're enjoying it and you're making a really decent living. It's you're a professional musician or are you not? Yeah. yeah. You know, whether or not this is like the, you know, what you, what ends up happening the rest of your life or not, is not the real question. It's like, this is, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to medical school right now. I'm playing in a band. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's uh, funny. Even now, you know, 2021, I still get asked, con I mean, I wonder if you still do even get that question from people you meet who you don't know are strangers and they ask you, what do you do? And I say, I play guitar and this, well, what do you do for a living? You know, <laughs> it's always, always, it. yeah. Oh, I've got some great, I've got a couple of great stories about that. We, me and Joe Sublette, who was playing in a band, the Cobras that I inadvertently sat in with is how I met Stevie. Yeah. Right. We used to live up above and behind this guy who was going to school, who was like the best whistler he and I had ever heard. Wow. This guy was unbelievable in his, and we said, man, you ought to go to Hollywood. We go, forget about your degree and all that. We'll tell you how to live your life. Go out to Hollywood. I go, you could get a gig for movies and soundtracks. God was unbelievable. But he'd say, what are you guys going to do if this, uh, I mean, this music thing don't work out for y'all. He goes, I mean, I'm, got, I'm getting my degree in whatever he was getting his degree in. Um, we said, well, I don't know, man. We don't have a plan B. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what if it don't work out? 
I go, well, fuck, I'm like, well, I don't know. And so anyway, ran into the guy. Um, this is before I started play, working with Stevie. I met, ran into the guy like in 1997, mm-hmm. 98. And he was driving a school bus for Fort Worth School District. I go, what happened to your degree? He said, oh, I don't know. That didn't all work out. And he goes, he goes, how's your, how's your, he goes, you've done pretty good, right? And I go, yeah, life's been good. You know, it was Storyville. I mean, it was actually, actually past Storyville, but Archangel, it was Storyville, tail end of Storyville. Stevie, Archangel, Storyville. He goes, yeah. well, he goes, well, what? And he goes, what are you going to do now? He goes, I was playing with Kenny is what it was. He goes, what if this don't work out? I'm going, John, I go, <laughs> it was just a funny story because, um, you know, there, and the other one was, um, I was with my son in his first day of uh, youth association baseball, a little kid. Yeah. And he had this coach and they said, you know, Joe's dad's in the music business. And the guy said, yeah, he goes, uh, you in the music business. He goes, what do you do? I said, I, I play drums. He said, you got one of them CDs. I go, well, you know, I'm working on one. He goes, he goes, that's good. He goes, you finish that up. You get that thing out. It might, you might go somewhere if you get one of them CDs. And he goes, all right, boys, let's hit the field. And I was like, I love these stories. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh, my God. What what you know, kind of music did, did uh, Greasy Wheels play? Was it original stuff or, or were you guys playing covers? No, it was original. They were actually the first band in that whole Cosmic Cowboy Michael mm-hmm. Murphy, Jerry Jeff Walker, Rusty Weir, yes. um, that whole period um, in Austin. Um, it was it was wild. It was original music, but it had uh, kunga drums and percussion, violin, mandolin, electric guitar, bass, drums, piano, and a, a, a brother and sister lead singer. Wow. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was like hippie. It was like hippie rock, kind of almost Grateful Dead, hippie rock, jazzy, bluegrass. I don't know what you call it, but they were actually the first band that actually got a, a deal. They had a deal on London Records. They were one of the first. They were the first to get signed out of that whole contingent that came later and kind mm-hmm. of gave Austin that progressive country, yeah. rhinestone, hillbilly, cowboy, you know, deal. Yeah. Man, what an ensemble to get dropped into for your first like professional, real gig like that. You know? No, I know they mean they you know they had a major record deal, and I just went and played what they said. Here we play this, and they went, "We want you." And oh well, yeah, okay, sure, yeah. Wow. I give all up right. all my odd jobs and had a whole That's plethora great. of odd jobs and failing out in school. Going, what am I doing? I go, I thought I was, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, now I'm a professional musician. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're playing with, with Greasy Wheel and living in Austin, making friends. Um, when when does that come to an end? Uh, you know, it came to an end when I um, I finally went out to see my roommate's band, which was the Cobras that had this guy, Denny Freeman. God love him. It yeah. just passed. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Denny Freeman and Stevie Vaughn were the guitar players in this band. And I got up and helped them out for a few songs when their drummer had overslept. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days later, Stevie came by the place. I said, we started talking about music. And I said, 
you know what, whatever you do, I'd like to work with you. I don't care what we do, where we do it, how we do it, when we do it, what it means. I don't care anything about it other than I just like to do it. Had you ever seen him before that gig, like around no, town or anything? No, like, not at all. No. Wow. No, in fact, in fact, I walked in the week before I sat in as the truth of it. And I looked at him and he was just playing rhythm guitar. Kind of like I see you do on videos, right? Just yeah. playing something. I went, and I thought, I remember I looked, I went, God, there's something about this guy. Yeah. It wasn't like the guy that everybody came to know, but I went, something about his, something's going on. Mm. And then I went out the next week and that's when I sat in and I could feel it. You know, the whole thing was great. Denny was awesome. I mean, it was a really great ensemble. And, and I don't know, you know, when, uh, when it all came about and, at some point in time, there's more story to that. But so he said, "Hey, you want to, you want to, you want to be in my band?" And I went, "Yeah." Um, yeah. I didn't know. How'd anything. you end up living with Joe? Huh? How'd you meet Joe? How'd you end up living there? Well, Joe came and lived with me. Oh, okay. See, right, he was it. old. He was almost three years older than me. But I watched him when I was a kid playing in bands around Corpus. Okay. And, and the interesting thing was, is that there was a guy named Jim Tremere and they were typically horn sections in whatever band they were working in. Jim knew Stevie from Dallas growing up as kids. Wow. So Jim had left Corpus and he was actually playing in this band, Paul Ray and the Cobras. When that little idea that I had, which was let's move to Austin, we went back to play a gig in Corpus and Joe just showed up from a tour and I said, come on, join our band and come back to Austin. Well, he did. And soon that thing fell apart and he got the gig with Paul Rain the Covers because Jim Tremere said, hey, I want to leave this band and you'd be better for him anyway. Why don't you play sax in this band? And so that's how that happened. And then Joe was looking for a place to live. And I said, well, why don't you come over? I got two bedrooms. Come over. Let's you can come hang out at my joint. And so that's mm -hmm. how we became roommates. Is that is that clear? Is that clear enough? It's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. So did you balance, you know, when you, okay. So when you see Steve, you sit in with the Cobras and then you have that conversation with Stevie and you know, you want to, you know, just do whatever, make music with the guy. Do you balance greasy wheels and that at the same time while you kind of guys are starting to figure out what you want to do, or is it just all in right away? It's all in right away. Yeah. I mean, Stevie said, he goes, you want you want to be in my band? I said, yes. Right. And I did. And he said, okay. I said, well, I need to tell Greasy Wills. I need to give them. He goes, no, it's like now. <laughs> it's it's now. It's not like two weeks from now or a month from now. It's like now. You, you said you wanted to be in my band. Right. <laughs> and I went, yes. So I went wow. to Greasy Wills. I said, man, I have this thing. I've got, I've got to do this. I said, it's just... <laughs> it's funny because the leader, Cleve Hattersley, he wrote a book later and he called me up to ask me if he could quote me. He grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, look, we'll, he goes, we're going to, we'll be okay. He goes, if you got to leave like this minute, he goes, but I'm telling you, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> of course he, he did. <laughs> no, he, he, no, he did. He looked into my eyes and I went, shit, I don't know. He might be right. I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know any of these things. And immediately, went to a job that was actually paying me no money there was like <laughs> i was like wow uh we'll get we're gonna make this work we're gonna make this work something's gonna give or it's gonna <laughs> yeah but i mean it's amazing the the leap of leaps of faith that 
not just you, but that we, t all musicians take, not just, just to be a musician, but then when you find something that you know is like, I got to be there. I got to do that, you know? And, and, and for it to work, it doesn't always work out, but you still have to take the leap, you know? Yeah. You do. It, it requires a lot of faith and, and, and commitment and certain, and then conscientiousness and hard work and all these other things, you know, that we, that are thrown around, but it, it, it there's a big leap of faith that has to occur. We go, I, I think we can make it. I think we, we need to go there. You know, I need to be there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, had Stevie already started to, you know, assemble the band or was it just you guys and we're going to reach out, you know, has he already talked to the Cobras about leaving the Cobras or was it just all happening right at the same time, I guess? Well, no, the little bit longer story there was that Lou Ann Barton, who was kind of like a, you know, step right up and let's do it right now kind of person. Uh, it went to God, gone to him and said, you know what? You look bored in this band. She goes, I'm, I want to put together a band. You, you need to play guitar and I'm going to sing. And we had W.C. Clark on bass and we get right. Mike Kinder and Freddie Farrow to play drums and go, come on. And basically he's like, okay. And so they, they, they formed a band called Triple Threat Review. Mm -hmm. That band and that band kind of started dissolving almost instantly because like everybody was a chief in that deal and it kind of fell apart, which kind of then turned into like just Lou Ann and Stevie. And that kind of became a different band. This was all in weeks. Yeah. And then there was problems with your with Freddie Faro, the drummer. That became a personal nature and a bunch of different stuff. And then they both came to me and Susan, you want to be in our band? you want to be in my band you want to play with me and i went i do yeah. he said well, good let's start like right now yeah. and that's picking up the other part of the story wow all right so so once that starts i mean how many gigs really a week were there around that time in austin one two maybe yeah. but we you know we would go down to san marcus texas and we got a gig like in Dallas. We'd go to Stubbs Barbecue in Lubbock. That's where the real Stubbs Barbecue, where he was. Mm. And so we did every, we kind of cobbled together enough work that kind of got started to get rent and utilities paid. Mm. So it was actually viable just barely. You know, Crazy. roof, clothing, food, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and so when it starts to pick up and you guys start to do little trips, how much time passes before, you know, W.C. Clark kind of splits and and then Luann splits and all that? Is, is it a I, I never clear, like how long a period of time that is? Oh, you know, I'll tell you. So I started working with Stevie, joined Double Trouble that really became solidified like August, late mm -hmm. July of 78 from Triple Threat. Uh -huh. And basically... When all these people left, Lou Ann said, well, I'm going to get my friend Johnny Reno and Jack Newhouse, right, respectively, sax and bass, bring them down from Fort Worth, which is where she was from, right? Freddie's still here, you and me, Stevie. Now it's double trouble, right. you and me. So th that actually by September 10th is when I started working in the band, replacing Freddie. But the, the conversation that Stevie and I had <clears throat> when he came over to the apartment that day and I told him that I wanted to work with him is like, I was listening to Donnie Hathaway and the live record was one of his favorite records. We started talking about Stevie wonder and miles Davis, Herbie Hancock. I, 
And he said, you like all those people? You're hip to them? I said, yeah, that's kind of what I was into before I got to Austin. He said, man. You know, so it was like, I was like, he was blown away and surprised that I like Stevie Wonder, and, you know, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. And so, right. but, but to the band, he said, man, I like to, I like to do a Hendrix tune. And we did, we did Little Wing and the rest of the band was like, we don't do that shit. We're a blues band. Lou Ann was a big protester, Jack Newhouse, Johnny Reno went, man, we play the blues, you know, we're like, well, me and Stevie, I think really the deal was there, honestly, was the understanding that we just play what we feel like playing. Right. And that's what band we are. Yeah. But there was a big protest for playing Jimi Hendrix songs and, you know, do Stevie Wonder tunes. We do Jimmy Reed and, you know, Eddie Taylor. We do, you know, Buddy Guy. We do. And it's like, no. Um, the funny story about all this with Stevie was that that day he came to the apartment. I only found this story out about two years ago. Was that Joe Sublette went and opened the door and Stevie was there. He said, what's going on? He said, he said, come out here. I want to ask you something. He's asked Joe, he said, has he ever played, has he ever played blues? And Joe said, no, he's never been in a blues band. He's playing funk and jazz and all this other stuff. He said, and Stevie said, that's good. He goes, that's good. He said, it is. He went, yeah, why is that good? He said, because he didn't have a bunch of shit in his head about how oh, this is supposed to be like that. And that's got to be like this. And this can't be this way and that way, all that stuff. And so, I mean, all this started making sense when, you know, when Tommy got in the band, right. Cause Johnny Reno quit Lou Ann, we parted ways. Jack was really disinterested in it. And then Tommy came along. I was like, you know, here's three people who are ready for anything that comes down the pike Our in our world, anything. And that's when it really became, cool we were three people on the same page of everything yeah and that's when things really started changing had had you ever met tommy before or seen him around well no i knew about tommy of course but we went to do a show in houston and he showed up and uh he wanted to know if he could sit in Mm. and i thought there's a legendary tommy shannon man you know johnny all this stuff and i'm now actually meeting this guy and he was cool as hell you know i loved him and he yeah. got up and he just played. It was like magical. Yeah. And I thought, man, this is, sounds just awesome. And he was a little bit drunk. And he back after the show, he said, you need me in your band. He goes, I need <laughs> and I need to be in this band. And you need me in this band. He goes, I got to be in this band. And we're like, Steve is like, okay. Uh, okay. Well, and then we're going back to Austin. And um, this is really funny because you know, everybody was already kind of doing too much partying, Stevie right. being one of them. But Stevie says, I think he, he was drunk. <laughs> well, I go, yeah, he looked, he looked kind of drunk to me. You know? <laughs> Stevie says, um, I don't know, man. And, and Cutter Brandenburg, who was our road manager, said, you know what? He goes, that sound, he goes, it sounded, you guys sounded great. He goes, he, he needs to be in this, he should be in the band. And wow. Stevie said, I don't know, man. I think he might have like a drinking and drug problem. <laughs> I mean, I was like, wow, that's a, that's an interesting statement coming, you know, from it's like the classic, you know, that old deal about the pot calling the kettle black. It's like, sure, yeah. I go, oh man. Anyway, so um, you know what? We made that change, and when he got in the band, it was like, you know what? We were all like, it was like we were all on the line together, and everybody's like, you know what? This is. 
this is where it really seems to start. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I'm really, I'm fascinated by like the little process stuff. So like, okay, when, so me comes back to Austin, I guess with you guys and you make the change, is there a bunch of re rehearsal? Do you go like in the, in the shed immediately, or is it just gig after gig? When do Stevie tunes start becoming a thing as opposed to all covers? How quickly did it become like, you know, a serious thing? Well, Stevie had some songs, stuff like Pride and Joy and I'm Crying and Dirty Pool were things that were already written. Right, and like stuff you can hear on the in the beginning record with Jackie and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. But Tommy, you know, being in the band, it's like he just showed up and we just started playing. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's amazing. I mean, even it, it's, I listened to the records you know, I go, you know, a lot of, a lot of that we walked in and said, let's just start doing something. I mean, we'd go in and Texas flood was the only record that we had, like all the songs that went on the record uh -huh. when we went in to do what we wasn't even going to be a record. Right. Um, it's amazing how cash and spontaneous casual and spontaneous our approach was to playing seriously. I mean, it wasn't like we were, there was seriousness about the execution, but it was like, Let's play and see what happens. Tommy joined in the band. I think we rehearsed a couple of times that we were just doing gigs. Yeah. Winging it and making shit up. And, you know, it's yeah. like, seems so irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I couldn't, you know, that feeling when you, you, when you find the right ensemble and, you know, even before things like outwardly start to happen, as far as like success or whatever things happen, you already kind of feel like, successful when you've reached this this you know level of cohesion with with some guys it's a magical feeling so i i mean you guys had to know you had hit on the right combination oh you know what john that's really i'm you know i'm glad that you brought that up because people say like well when did you know you were successful i mean like you know the success was dan yeah. you know you're doing something every day you go god this is great there's something special and you don't need to know anything else Yep. Now, you, you certainly can wish that, like, well, maybe we won't be poor our whole life, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. There's those kind of like, well, maybe, you know, maybe when my car finally breaks the last time, maybe I could at some point get another car that runs and these kinds yeah. of things, you know. Right. Um, and then you've got your dreams like everybody does. But the thing that was that that I, I think everybody knew was like what we had was like, you know what? We'd already made it. Yeah. That was yeah. our success. We'd already made it. The rest of it, whatever came, would be just gravy, um, you know. And we How, would work for it. Yeah, and you guys, you did work for it. Did it feel quick to you guys once things started to pick up? Was it all just like a blur, like when Montro happens and then Texas Flood recording and all that stuff? It had. That's pretty quick. I mean, yeah. the the transition. Yeah, you know, I saw a great comment about bankruptcy, mm. and I thought, you know what? If you if you actually couch this in a in a certain saying that's like in the Bible, it's interesting. It says, "How do you go bankrupt?" It's like gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about on the success and the overnight success scale. It's like you work at something for years, and maybe unbeknownst you know, the universe is somewhat conspiring to things are being put in place until all of a sudden there's something starts tipping in your favor. And then you have the overnight success where a whole bunch of stuff gets thrown your way. And that's like, can you handle all that at the pace that it's occurring? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, you know, I mean, that was, I could sense that something was going on when someone said, hey, Mick Jagger really likes you guys. We went to New York and we did that show, which was so weird, you know, playing that kind of deal. And you go, yeah, but something's stirring somewhere, you know? And then the mantra thing and all these different things that, you know, you couldn't make them up. You couldn't, you couldn't strategize and they just kind of fell in place that one thing led to another. And it was really amazing opportunity type stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like really in a different place. And it's like, can you deal with this? Yeah. And you'll have to learn a whole lot of stuff and you learn a lot of it the the wrong way. You don't learn it. The whole trial and error thing kicks in and you make some really instinctual good decisions and some really bad business decisions and, (laughs) you know, the whole lot of it, you know, until, until nothing, you just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Man, I'm I'm curious from an from a guitar player perspective, listening to tapes of you guys, you know, bootleg stuff of Triple Threat and then stuff with Jackie before Tommy, and then stuff with Tommy leading up to Texas Flood and then after Texas Flood. Was it obvious to you guys? I hear like, man, Stevie six month by six month was like exploding like these giant new levels every six months. Was it obvious to you guys then how much he was growing? Cause I hear it like crazy. Well, you know, it's, it, you know, in a, in a, in a, it's almost like that the bridge never alters, you know, you'll mm-hmm. like the bridge too. It just keeps materializing because yeah. if you go from a five piece and you go, well, now, now it's a four piece and now it's, now it's a three piece and now it's a three piece going from a four piece. Like now, this was an interesting thing that came up in the, in the Texas flood book was when Lou Ann left the band, you know, our agent called and said, well, what are y'all going to do about a singer? And Stevie said, well, I guess I'm the singer tomorrow night. Yeah. Which he hadn't been the primary singer. So but here's the thing. This is, this was a fascinating thing about Stevie. There was, there was never any kind of a strange mechanism in him that said, maybe you can't do that tomorrow. Or maybe because he would, you know, he would do wild shit with the guitar. You know, that whole thing about playing behind his back, you know, where he, that's the first time I saw him do it. I go, I go, where'd that come from? He said, I don't know. It just kind of came to me. I thought I'd give it a try. And he did it flawlessly. Not like, well, I better practice that first because I might screw it up. He just would do stuff. And it's not arrogance, cockiness or any of that stuff. It's just like, he just like, I, I, I'm going to go do that. So the guitar thing you're talking about is like yeah. Lou Ann leaves one day, right? And the next night we play and there's something different about his guitar playing. So I got to kind of take fill in and do something while I'm singing. So he's just kind of like morphed to this slightly different style than he was the day before. Yeah. And you go, um, so you talk about six month periods as an example. It's like, yeah, a lot of stuff was like, well, I got, you know, I got rhythm and solo and singing. I got to figure out how to kind of combine all that stuff. So I kind of get, keep it all going on. Yeah. The only chording instrument, the guy who's now singing and playing the chording instrument. And it just, things just started changing like quickly. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, you know, for, as a kid, it was just, I'm just mind blown, but as an adult and someone who's put in countless of hours and effort into playing the guitar, I, I can now, in retrospect, look back and see not just, of course, the magic and the gift, but also the amount of hours. 
Like just how much time he, he must have been playing guitar and how much you guys in general must have been playing to have such quick growth over that, that period of time. Yeah. It's well, you know, he was, I mean, working with him was, you know, in a weird way, it was absolutely inspirational, nothing more certain, and then kind of be frustrating because he was like, watch, if you ever watched a, a chameleon, you know, that's going through a landscape and it changes from yellow, uh, green to brown to, mm. he could just change like that in his, I go, how do you do that? How do you, you know, it's not, not like I, I got an idea and I'm going to go practice it for nine hours and yeah. then see if I can pull it off. And I, he just start doing stuff and you go, hang on, man. You know, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> okay, come on. You know, so it's kind of like, come on, this is where we're going. And that's why he was just, um, enchanted genius it's like yeah. something would come to him and then he could just go do it wow. wow and you go well can you do that too can you come along it's like sometimes no not not right away and that's the frustrating part but yeah. it was great because he was always encouraging um he was really the best guy in the scene mm. you know somebody asked me they said are you guys really i mean how do you feel like you guys are like playing with Stevie? And they actually asked me, so are you guys really like good enough to play with him? <laughs> said, Who no, asked you that? I said, huh? Who asked you that? <laughs> uh, one of our old, deepest, most private, best friends. I said, uh -huh. no, probably not. But um, I go, but we care about him. We all love each other the most. I said, the rest of it, I said, I've never seen him in a situation where when he got in it, he wasn't the guy that just outshined everybody. Right. You know, I mean, that no matter what Stevie did, he's like, all of a sudden he's like out ahead. And you're like, oh, well, who, who is that guy that 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 can play with him and be just the right guy for him? You know, it's right. You know, I go, I don't know who that is. I mean, I know that we all love each other and we're all we all have each other's backs. I think that's at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. And hopefully we make really great music and everybody likes doing it together is what is what the call is. And uh, wow. but it was but he was challenging because he was always forever available. And then he'd throw you these curves and go, wow, boy, that's, that's heavy. You know, Wow. you know, kind of like a pitcher who throws this wild ball and you go, okay, wait a minute. I've never seen him throw that pitch before, but now, wait, my, my job is to catch that ball. Yeah. 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 And catch it well, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it kept you on on your toes, I'm sure. And it kept made you grow faster as a musician as well. I mean, just being, all in that environment yeah no it um it did i was you know listening to the recorded music and i go one of the things that you know thinking just like the passing of my great my dear friend denny freeman um you know regrets that you might have would be like i kind of took you always take some things you can end up taking them for granted like they're always mm -hmm. available and they're always here until mm -hmm. they're not right and then you go you know what yeah, I look at some of this. So I could give you it's it's all it's all in forms like life right now, like like live gratefully and take this moment seriously and live in it because you never know when what you think is here and available all of a sudden is not. And you yeah. wish you'd done more and something better with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, as so as you guys exploded then after the gradual, you know, build and then the ex, the explosion and and things get, you know, hectic and you're crazy and all that's going on. When when did um, let's see, what's the best way to put it? 
when does the shift happen? Because we know this, you know, shift between the van and the bus in your ass to the bus and, you know, the higher level of, of work and feeling, you know, like, like you've got some money coming in and all that. Did it change anything between the three of you guys or was it always the same? Oh, you know, it was, it's always was the same. I mean, we have our struggles and our bumps because we had a lot of responsibility. Mm. We had a big business, a big piece of machinery going on. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of people and there was, Stevie was somebody, you know, and, and I laud him for this, you know, in re- responsibility to those around him treated me the same way and everybody as there was a lot of structural things that needed to be considered that a lot of people didn't do so in the music industry. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need you right now, you know, and then, you know, see you later, I get somebody yeah. else, but we had a family and we had a, there was a lot of responsibility in how you actually took that, you know, through the, the year, took it down the road, so to speak was mm-hmm. a big responsibility, big financial responsibility. So, you know, we had different views on how to achieve that. And, of course, we had the real practical stuff to deal with. And, of course, the thing of the day is Roy's trying to make music. Yeah. Mm. And there was a lot. I mean, we did a lot in a few short years and like, the amount of shows that we did, records, and all the stuff that a, that a really a healthy career will ask of you or want to demand that you pay attention to. Yeah. And it kind of pulled us apart, not us to get not as not as individuals together but pulled everybody apart singularly and like our health and you know mm-hmm. the stuff with drinking and drugs it's like man we have so much going on we're trying to you know we're trying to keep up with ourselves and you know so finally that machinery did come to it to a grinding halt at one point as everybody mostly knows yeah until we regrouped and got back on a, a fresh page and um so Reese came in, obviously, I guess, I don't know if it was the height of the party or whatever, but somewhere around there. Had you ever played with Reese beforehand? Because I know he was playing with Jerry Jeff and stuff, so maybe with, you know, the Greasy Wheels, Double Bills or something, who knows? No, no, I heard about him and I liked his playing. And he was down the road. I mean, we were tired, right? There was two things that were going on. We were kind of exhausted, you know, the trio thing, and we were kind of like not being good to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of thinking like, maybe we could use a new kind of energy and a different kind of way to frame this experience. And, and he crossed our mind and I actually talked to Joseph Blatt and Joseph, you know, Reese is playing with Delbert just down the street from where you guys are the studio. Mm-hmm. And so basically I went down there and got him, <laughs> brought, got, brought them back to the studio. So you nice. want to come do some, you want to, I think I got on the phone first and, wasn't cell phones got on the phone said he want to come back here and come and he's like yeah and i didn't i didn't know him yeah it's like a cold call and a cold call event for him to come back to the studio i mean i think he actually came back and we were waiting on like dope and booze or something and we didn't do anything and he's like is this how you guys make records like (laughs) i thought you guys wanted me to play on your record you know (laughs) you know how he is you know reese yeah he's like um I don't remember what we did, but the next, and then all of a sudden, the next day we just sat and cut stuff like soul to soul, say what it was like, here's an idea, boom. And we just did it. Um, a lot of this stuff was very impromptu. 
But we mm-hmm. did all that, and it was like, wow, that sounds good, man. He's great. And Stevie said, hey, you want to join our band? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I loved it, because Reese says, how much? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear that. <laughs> you can, you know this. I'm saying this to you because you know this stuff. Reese yeah. like, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> well, I, it's interesting for Reese coming into your guys' situation because he's coming, you know, he had done a number of like touring gigs as a paid side man. He was like a seasoned cat, you know what I mean? So it must have been interesting kind of coming into a band like that who was an established thing. Uh, God. This is like top secret shit, right? I mean, seriously, you're not talking. No, Reese says, um, you ask him about this. I mean, there's, there's you ask him, emails, he's like, how much, how much? And, and uh, Stevie basically offered him like a cut. And I was <laughs> like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> the fuck you just got here you know (laughs) i mean i'm thinking right yeah i'm going well that's kind of how stevie is i mean i got a cut you know he's a good guy he's a good dude there's no like i I get i have a great moment to leave all you guys behind and jump the ship and go find you know he was like i said yeah well you know that's kind of how it works around here so he came aboard and we're all part of the same team and everybody's you know, shoulder to shoulder. I go, all right, cool. And away, you know, down the road we went. Man. Yeah. I mean, so obviously that was reaching towards the peak of the, of the partying and and the craziness. And we all know that story and, and everything. So after that, after Stevie cleans up and, and, and you guys get back together, was it as, as great as it seems outwardly? Like, I just see you guys smiling, like, like insanely those last couple of years. And I, there's an interview of, that I've seen of you and Stevie where the interviewer asks, what's the best thing that could happen? And both you guys say, just keep going. And it really seems that way for me. Like you guys seem so fucking happy. Oh God. Well, yeah. Um, it was funny. So there's that period where we do the live record superstition mm-hmm. and then the very first thing back where we're all back together you know everybody's we're on the good path right is to make a video with that track and we were listening to the track going Ugh. hearkening back to the period but now it's mm-hmm. a whole different time it was it was like wow this is really bizarre that was just one item but yeah. you know we're on this new path and and yeah you know what it was great just wake up in the morning and everybody's healthy and we go, wow, we have a chance here. You know, yeah. it's not like maybe death any moment from that way of living. Right. So now, you know what? We could actually keep going. Yeah. And we did. And things got really clear. And we had a whole lot of stuff that we needed to pay attention to, you know, not only in music going forward with old business stuff. And so we cleaned up a lot of different things and we were really on a good foot. We had everything sorted out. It was a great place to be. You know, making yeah. great music, everybody's showing up, everybody in the moment, having taken care of our stuff. And now it's like the future is bright. Yeah. It's a, I mean, you know, that's, I always noticed that even just as a kid looking at pictures, you know, pr, pr, you know, after 87 and just seeing the smile, just, just the, it seemed like everybody was so happy because not that you didn't appreciate what was going on before you know, the success and all the gigs and the amazing things. 
But then after it, it's like, man, you realize what this is the greatest thing in the world that you guys are doing. You know, it's, it, it, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, you know, it's just that thing. Who was I? I was listening. I can't remember who did. Who was talking about this? Was it Bill Bergen? Yeah, talking. Yeah, about back at the beginning when you're doing your thing and that's in hand, and mm -hmm. and times are simple, and you really like enjoy that. Later on, when when things get big and there's so many things to tend to and. Yeah. You go, then it actually wants to rob some of that joy from the, the whole process. Yeah. And that's where the challenge comes in. You know, can you really approach that every moment to say, no, you know what? I'm fresh and I've got my energy towards that. Because, I mean, on a day by day basis, you know, we come to your town, Josh, and you show Josh and you show up and you go, hell, I paid like $30 to see you guys. I don't care if what the hell you've been through for the last six, eight months. I want to right. see you guys be awesome. You know, that's yeah. the ask. And so, you know, you, me, anybody, our responsibility is like, can you, can you, can you get clear on all that and not let the other stuff override you and overwhelm you so much that you can't get to that point. And then you start yeah. like not liking what you do, yeah. even though you ought to be grateful and thankful and, you know, yeah. Well, I'm sure. So, yeah, it gave you the change there, the clean, you know, the getting clean on it gave you guys perspective on it all again from a new a new angle, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That was, um, you know, when we did that, uh, the tour that we did, us and Jeff Beck together, it was like, wow, man, this is like, this is kind of like the, one of those things. I remember when I stepped on stage at Madison Square Garden. You know, with a guy that I first jammed with that I was telling you back back when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Remember, his sister came in with a Rolling Stone and she said, look at this. Skinner plays the garden. It was a page. Right. Wow. That was the deal. Right. You play the garden. And I looked at that and went, I'm going to do that someday. And everybody had a big laugh over it. But when I stepped on stage, I went, God dang, I'm actually here. <laughs> yeah. You know, as a little kid, I just said, I'm going to do that someday. You know, but there's these like great things that you get to entertain in your fantasies and whatever. But, um, and that period I go, wow, you know what? Yeah, that, all this, all that got real. And now here we are and we're healthy. The music's, the band sounds great. We're doing all this neat stuff, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden, boom, it was all over. Yeah. And you go, wow. Okay. Live, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's it's hard to even, I you know, I it's nothing for me to say about it. It's just, I can't imagine what you guys went through, you know, when that, ha you know, at the moment. And, you know, because, I mean, you guys are probably looking at your tour books and looking at the next six months and the next, you know, I, I know how it works, you know. So when it just goes like that, I, I can't imagine, you know. You know. I think literally that one of those things where like everything happened, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you go, well, what does all of it mean? What does yeah. life mean? Yeah. There was all that stuff, right? Where you're looking at going, oh, we're going to China. We're going to Russia. We're going to do a full scale tour of South America. You know, mm -hmm. and, you know, it towards the business, we're going to be doing arenas and we got all this stuff. And then all of a sudden there's just nothing. You go, but wait a minute, what, what else kind of went away? And it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things that's just two dimensional. I mean, it, I mean, I've spent 
decades kind of sorting through it because there's always some new thing i go ah there's that there's and it's all good now you know yeah it's all good because it is just life and um but there was interesting questions to be asked and certain things to said we we, um you'll need you should want to get answers to this for yourself Mm -hmm. um so yeah no it's been a fascinating life yeah it's a man yeah it's unbelievable i mean i'm curious this is a random question about muso life on the road just as a working musician do you look back and i don't know how, how good your memory is but are you one of those guys who you know if you see a video of you guys uh, you know in a random wednesday night in des moines iowa or something like that you know do you remember something about that day do you remember catering or the hotel is that you know you does that never leave you because I'm that way, you know. I can never forget. Oh, I might every single one of them. No, but there's definitely <laughs> things that that I remember about something. Oh, I remember that. God, yeah, I remember that Wichita, Kansas, where the, the, for, for some reason we got like it was like industrial chicken noodle soup poured <laughs> out of those big cans, like they'd have like in maybe a school cafeteria, and then yeah. they dumped them into a bigger pot. And then just put a ladle and that was dinner. And it was like, you know, go, Oh, I remember that. I remember that. And then there was the thunderstorm right after that lightning almost struck the building. And and then we did the show and then we left. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like those, I don't remember the gigs as much as I remember that stuff, catering, the ride on the bus, uh, what some joke somebody told or what we were watching on TV, you know, all that shit. Oh, I yeah. know. Well, there's no telling. See, that's that's fascinating thing. I think is no telling what any of us might remember or never remember about any of it, right? Other yeah. than what we do. Yeah. 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 No, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just love being on the road so much. It's like all those things are the gold to me. Like that, all those moments. It's such a great, I you know, the camaraderie of of your family of musicians and you're getting to go do something you love so all that stuff that happens during the day is like it's magical shit you know i was you know who dan crenshaw is he's a republican congressman from houston i know who he is yeah yeah, i was talking about about navy seals you know he's a navy he was a navy seal but he said yeah you don't you don't join up and then think oh well i wonder if i'll go ahead and become one he goes you kind of already are one and if you have those questions, you, you won't be one. And wow. I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a mute, the life of a musician. Yeah, it does. And yeah. I thought about it. Um, somebody came to a show in Houston one time and they said, God, the show was just wonderful. And they said, well, what do you, what do, you do now? And I go, well, I'm getting on that bus and I'm driving overnight to the next. They go, you, you get on that bus? I go, what do you, have, what do you mean? They go, do you all get, I'll get on that bus? I went, yeah, we get on there where they got bunks. We sleep on there. And they went, God, that's disgusting. <laughs> and I went, I don't know, maybe it is, right? Um, yeah. But you think about like, where did you eat? Where did you pick up that nap? You know, where did you get caught on that, yeah. that, you know, that breakdown on the road? What flight did you miss? And what airport was that? And yeah. all these things, you just go, you know what? There's all that stuff because then we play music. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it doesn't, and I go, it kind of looks like that's like, no, it's not going to be determined by like, no, I'm not going to ride in that kind of thing. I'm not staying in a hotel like that. Oh, I'm not going to eat that kind of food. I'm not going to. It's like, no, you'll do all that shit and work so you can go play music. <laughs> yep. 
a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, yeah. it, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the in the world. Well, apparently we haven't yet. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, right now we have. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, this one's random, but no. I'm very curious. Was he as loud as it seems? Because I never experienced it. And for you guys, was it gradual? Did it kept getting louder? Or, or was it not as loud as everyone thinks it was? No, it was really fucking loud. Are you kidding? Really fucking loud. <laughs> but you know, you know what it really was is that even, even in a, um, he was a such a strong player mm-hmm. that even at a volume, give it any amp, any guitar in his hands, he go, that's not a big rig. When he played, the strength of it sounded mighty. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, it's kind of loud. It's it's elusive in that it's not loud, but it is, but it's strong and it's, you know, powerful. Yeah. That, um, But then there was just the fact of assembling Dumbles and Marshalls and shit. And it was just like, this is just way too fucking loud. It really is <laughs> just loud. Yeah. Would you guys say that? Would you, Was there a ribbing about that? Yeah. I say, God damn, it's fucking loud. He goes, well, it's a guitar band, you know, it's like, that's not really a great answer. That's not, I mean, but you know, I can see where this is headed. Yeah. <laughs> so like we play Madison Square Garden, like the one I had like S4s at Claire Brothers provided me. Those were my drum monitors and wedges yeah. underneath the S4s just so I could, for vocals and drums Yeah. and anything else I might need, but definitely not any more guitar. Yeah. Well, it kinda, man, there's yeah. that video of uh sound check where you guys are already on stage and stevie comes walking out in that leopard coat or whatever oh yeah yeah you guys are playing yeah yeah and you guys are playing without him and it sounds kind of normal and he hits standby and just goes and it's like you can't even hear you guys anymore from that camera that's close to the stage and it was like an i i was like oh that he's really really fucking loud. Yeah, well, so you get it. That's 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 yeah. That's a good rep of that whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Did Reese ever get pissed off? Right. I I don't know how Reese deals. He's played with nothing but loud fucking guitar players his whole life. It's crazy. I, you <laughs> know, especially after the Stevie experience. I don't know. Reese used to kind of stay pissed off. Really, so to get is supposed to get pissed <laughs> off. Yeah. <That's> funny. <laughs> God love him. Reese, are you going to be watching this? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, but yeah, I get it. No, he was because. Uh, because Reese had come from a lot of really um, high caliber professional ex- uh, situations, yeah. you know, where you go, well, you know, we got singers and we got, you know, so there was some kind of like decorum or whatever you might call it. And then yeah. you enter double troubles like, man, this is fucking all hell can break loose over here and tends to. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, man. Well, I'm curious about your drumming because one thing I've found you know, I mean, not to, to pat you on the back too much, but man, you you have grown tremendously from when Double Trouble ended to where you are now as a player. It's kind of unbelievable, actually. The, I mean, just doing the Reese record with you, I hear you play things I never would have heard you play 20 years ago. You know, and obviously that's some of that's just the way we are as musicians. We're always growing. But man, how, how have you kept yourself motivated to, to grow as much as you have as a player? Because you really have grown a ton since since then. Uh, that's you know that's a that's a good that's a f- really fair good question. Um, yeah, it's actually been in my case 
goals that have been put up in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm really, I've never really been the guy that just says, well, I'll just wake up today, have my breakfast and then go practice drums for like nine hours. Cause that's what mm-hmm. I do. Right. I've not been that guy, but you know, things like, um, you know, the archangels, which was, which was my, my idea that the formation of that band, but I go, this is a whole different thing. So it was a challenge and it was a goal. Yeah. Um, at the point in time that, you know, John McDermott called me for what became the experience Hendrix thing. Mitch mm-hmm. Mitchell was like my hero. And I went, right. wow, you know what? I want to get all that vocabulary. So it was like in that particular case, I want to understand the vocabulary. And I'd come right. from, you know, in a school band from doing a rudimental type approach. And before I met Stevie, I mean, the guys that I were into, like Mike Clark with the Headhunters and Billy Cobham. And I mean, the list went on and on. Michael Walden, all these different things. Harvey yeah. Mason, you know, the Creed Taylor records, all the all this yeah. different stuff. So this was kind of like in my thing. And I kind of started accessing some of that stuff that nobody ever knew me for to begin with. Yeah. And then the application of like, Hey, you want to be the drummer for experience Hendrix? I got, and there was, you know, the Storyville thing, which was a totally that and Archangels was a creative thing. And these were all kind of goals and challenges to say, this is not, you know, shuffles and things of that nature backing somebody. Um, and that was a conscious, that was a conscious effort, like in, the, within, in double trouble. It's like, this guy's going to do all this stuff. And so what he needs is somebody to be solid behind him and not, this is not Mitch Mitchell's, the Mitch right. Mitchell answer to Jimi Hendrix. This is something, you know, so, yeah. you know, all these things kind of opened up and they asked different, asked different questions with different type goals. And, and, and I needed that. And so I kind of spent time trying to rise to that occasion. You can, you can hear it, man, which is inspiring for me because that's pretty much been my main motivating factor my whole life. I know what keeps me going is, yeah, I love all the work and all the stuff, but I just want to be better guitar player tomorrow than today. So, like, whenever I see people who are, you know, I don't mean you're old, but older than me, you know, who continue to grow and, and growing without stopping, it lets me know I, that's it's possible. Like, you don't have to stop, you know, like... And that I, I look, pay attention to that stuff. It's important to me. It's very inspiring to me. I think that's the big deal, Josh. Um, Cause there's a certain element in not giving up and not quitting and keeping on that's, that speaks. It's a really, it's almost like this hidden factor that's hiding right in plain sight Yeah. that if you don't quit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds dumb. You don't quit. You keep going. I know it's so cliche, but if you just keep moving forward, it takes care of itself. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff that just does. And that's not, 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 not to be, um, you know, not to take anything for granted, but, yeah. you know, we talk about the snowball going down the hill and all that shit, and I'm, yeah. but it's, it's really true. But it's like, well, how do you, how do you keep that up? I'll tell you, and this year, the previous year of not playing, I thought, well, is this like the handwriting on the wall? I've been pro- professional for 45 years. We go, right. 65 years old, but I got back into doing some playing. I was like, was never, I did two records this summer, mm. the Sue Foley and the, and the uh, Mike Flanagan record. And I loved it. I went, God, I love it. Just making music and started doing a little playing here and there. And I thought, yeah, you know, but when I, when I see this, yeah. When I fell on my dirt 
like a month ago and I broke my collarbone and like, now you're going to do nothing. When I was laying on the ground trying to get up, the first thing I thought was like, I can't play Sunday night. Shit. (laughs) It just, it came right and went, well, there you go. You know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I can't imagine that would have been my first thought too. You know, if I ever fell out of a tree and broke my arm, it would always be, you know, like, (laughs) how am I going to play guitar? You know, the same way an athlete, immediately goes when can i play again you know like yeah it's yeah yeah no um so yeah crazy man well dude this has been like an incredibly gratifying conversation for me like i i just so enjoyable to listen to your stories like i said man you're you're a hero so to call you a friend is is like means a lot to me and uh Man, I hope we get to make some music together soon. Hey, let's do that. How about that? We'll mark that up to, and man. see how we can make that happen. Well, I have a studio and it's free. So next ever, if you're here, we'll do that. Or fuck it, I just need to come to Austin and do some recording. We'll get a bass player. You know? Where are you right now? Where is this exactly? I'm in Encino, California. Encino, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay. check it here off. I'll show you. Oh, that's blurry. There's my kit. There's Check my you out, man. Yeah. Ooh, Gretch. Yeah. That's like the uh, the Ferroni 70s Gretch kit. The Ferroni yeah. 70. Stop sign. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you mentioned Mike Clark. Man, how badass is that guy? <laughs> oh, God, you had him. You did something. I haven't seen that. What? What? I, I just did a conversation with him about the blues and I already kind of knew this about him, but I was struck by his, not just amount of knowledge about blues, but how much he respected it and loved it, which I'm always paying attention to that (coughs) with, with, you know, more jazz based or other school musicians, you know how some guys are, they look down on the blues and he was like, no, he wants to talk about Sonny Freeman and Fred Bilo and got, he knew his shit, you know? No, you know what? I didn't know that about him. We, we did, um, PASIC one time, the percussive arts seminar, seminar international conference. And I was one of the drum set clinicians. Yeah. I went, you guys really want me to get up there? It was Billy Cobham, Mike Clark. I was like, wait a minute. What the fuck am I going to do? But I met Mike. Mike Clark was right before I was. And I went, oh, my God, it's like one of my heroes. But I chatted with him. He said, yeah, I used to play with Albert Collins. I went, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. yeah, he was he was talking about playing with Albert, playing with Otis Rush. Uh, I know. Like, yeah, guys would come into town and he'd back him up. Yeah. No, I know. I was blown away. Um, I was so glad that I I was so glad that I did what I did because I he was before me. I'm like, guys, doing all this great shit. And he was getting clinical. Yeah. And thank God I went, you know, I don't know how I fit in with like Billy Cobham and uh, Tony Royster Jr. and, and Mike yeah. Clark. And I thought I hired some guys to be a band. We were the only guy, I was the only guy that actually played music. Yeah. So, yeah, this is kind of what this deal is, but this is how it fits in a song, which was great because I, I don't know. I need something. I need some leverage in this group of people. So, man. When you were when you were coming up working on your shuffle, who were the guys you were listening to, and did you know who they were, or was it just a mystery listening it, to the record? Some of what of a mystery, but Sonny Freeman was one yeah. of them. Um, man, I was listening to Albert Collins, like the cool sound of Albert Collins. Yeah. 
can't remember the guy's name. I can't. It took even. a, it, you know, I had to look it up. I went, I never know the guy's name. This is horrible. But yeah. mainly you listen to, there always was a guitar player, singer, artist, and then whoever the drummer was. Sometimes yeah. you had to look deep and you might not even find it out unless somebody knew. Um, and it was it Freddie Below. I mean, these guys, I mean, there was key people. Um, um, Earl did Phillips. Did Stevie know? Jimmy like when Reno. Stevie would talk to you about shuffles and stuff, did Stevie know some of those guys' names and stuff, the Fred Belos and things like that? He sometimes did, but he had the, he always came up with some interesting pieces of music, like in 45s. This is where it got rich, where between like Denny, mm. Paul Ray, Stevie, Jimmy, there was all this Mike Buck and Keith Ferguson. There was like this unbelievable depth of richness in yeah. records that like nobody had ever even heard. And then I go, check this out. You go, who is that? What is that? When was that? And, you know, and you're just listening. You know, the thing about the shuffle, since you brought that up, is like I started hearing, I go, God, there's like limitless ways to play it. And you go, you know, back in the days, like, no, nah, you just do a shuffle. They're like, and then you go on to, you know, your funk beat and then your jazz beat. And it's like, yeah, you go, God, this thing is like, so I got intrigued by how nuanced and different they all were. And then, you know, I was in the middle of all of it. And yeah. You know. What about, what about like the Texas, you know, there's such a Texas guitar player thing, but there's kind of a Texas drummer thing as well in that scene. Were you guys sharing information and, and were you cognizant of the fact that you were coming up with something, Texas, you know, in, in that vernacular? I don't think so. I think we're like a bunch of monkeys hanging out in the jungle and you go, and there's one got one monkey over there doing something. You go, hey, man, that seems to be working good for him. It's like, maybe I should start doing that, too. I mean, seriously. Okay. You know, okay. So I mean, like, like when you would hear Freddie Farrow or Frank Beard or something, you would you would listen, you know, and hear what they were doing. But it wasn't so much like. This is the Texas sound or whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it. You know, it's like it's like that old thing. It's like, well, how was your childhood where you grew up? Brooklyn versus Tucson. I, was like, I don't know. I got up and had breakfast and went to school. It's like, <laughs> what did you, you know, it's like you look at that stuff and I like what here, Freddie. And that was going to came from, a, you know, Earl Phillips, Jimmy Reed. And you go, well, that's where he got that from. And that's kind of cool. Let me see if I can. I to check that out. And then you go, well, check out those records. And then all of a sudden everybody's kind of checking out the same few things that a, that a couple of people kind of led everybody into. And yeah. it becomes that Texas thing. And, you know, yeah. and I don't know, I, I really don't have an explanation for it other than that possibly being it. Um, but you look at people, you know, whether I show up in Austin and I see all this stuff going on with Jimmy, Stevie, Denny Freeman, and you're going, I like what they're doing. What is that? Well, have you ever heard of Jimmy Reed? No, not yet. Well, that's kind of that kind of thing. And then you're kind of in the midst of it and you go, everybody's looking at these, at these handful of people that are like really thought to be like the guys and go, I think I want to kind of do what the guys, are doing, the guy. And then everybody's kind of just going down that path, you know, like monkey see monkey do, you know? Yeah. And then it becomes the Texas thing. Yeah. And I go, I guess, sure. That's fine by me, you know? Wow. Man. I asked him, I asked Joe Ely one time, I said, Joe, you know, buddy Holly, there's you. I go, there's all these guys, uh, uh, Butch Hancock, Jimmy Dale, Gilmer. I go, are these guys like the panhandle, like songwriters? I go, why is that? He goes, fuck, cause there ain't nothing else to do up there. <laughs> I go, so you write songs. I go, maybe so. Right. 
Yeah, maybe so. Because maybe we didn't so. have nothing. We didn't have anything else to do. Somebody comes along like Buddy Holly. Go, maybe I should try write songs. <laughs> it it's amazing though how a scene just coagulates or whatever. I mean, and just becomes a scene of like-minded people. I mean, the odds that blues would just take over in Austin, Texas. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's 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 a, it's just a random occurrence, really. I mean, kind of. I think you know, I have to, you know, the fact that people came down here. I mean, Austin has always been a mecca for a lot of different things regarding the humanities. And I think more so in, in earlier days. And so no telling who might end up here. But I think that, you know, Clifford Anton had a, a big part in opening his club yeah. because then all these people who to me were just national treasures, really, you'd actually see them and you go, my God, I've heard about him in legend. And I may and I maybe heard them on record, and now they're actually here in the flesh. When you see like Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed and Eddie Taylor and Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and you know Albert King and Freddie BB King and all them, and they're on stage, you go, Jesus Christ, this is like real. Yeah, it's yeah. real in your experience. Yeah. So, um, but the material was already there. You know, it's like. It's kind of like you go, we got a lot of kindling and a lot of wood here. And then somebody came along and said, I, I can help start a fire. Not trying to do that specifically, but it just it flares up. And then there you go, you know. All right. Well, yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you leave it with, with this question. Where do you, you know, at the stage you're at right now, do you have specific goals still that you want to reach as a musician? Where do you see yourself going? Wow. You know what? That's actually a tough question for me because there was a whole number of things that as time went on, I went, I want to do that. I always wanted to do that. And you know, I've actually done all of them <laughs> other than under the, under the, under the umbrella of just be a better drummer. Right. I'll tell you what, you know, my next goal is hopefully to get my, this broken side of my body kind of healed up so I can actually just sit down and start playing drums again. Yeah. Yeah. seriously um yeah. i don't know i actually thought about putting out a vocal record where i'm the lead singer <clears throat> you do it man <laughs> I, know. I know uh i don't know well if you want to do it i'm in i'll okay. play for free you can all use right. my studio <laughs> all right good cool let's mark that down mark it down well dude thank you for doing this man for taking the time out of your day and greatly enjoyable. Like it was, it was amazing. I had a good time. Thanks for having me. You got hope it, man. See, I hope to see you in person soon. Likewise. Likewise. I'm actually flying to Texas on Friday to play in Dallas at the Dallas guitar show festival. Oh, you are. Yeah. I mean, my first gig in front of people in over a year. It'd be weird. Really? No kidding. Well, good luck on that one. Yeah. But I, I'm vaccinated. I'm feeling good. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. Well, good. Either right, I'll my friend. Sitting, I'll either be sitting here or I'll be going into surgery. I won't know that till tomorrow, but good luck in Dallas. Thank you, my friend. All right. Well, let's talk soon, man. All right, buddy. Good talking to you, Josh. See you later. Thanks. All right, Chris. Thanks. Okay.